welcome to another episode of the Threads of Autism podcast. Soon, 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 maybe December, maybe Jan, to become exactly what it is now, but under a new name and website that will be called thethreadsoflife.co.uk, Embracing Family Life and Neurodiversity. So my current little online shop and business, Autism Threads, will be closing down. And yeah, I've actually feel weirdly kind of proud, even though it it has to be closed down. Um, and a little bit nostalgic too. But and just I guess the overriding feeling is is me being grateful, grateful to my family and friends for all their support over the five years and grateful to the strangers I've met at all of those markets and events that have made such a huge difference to my life that I've enjoyed the most that have actually you know led me to what I'm doing now I would never have begun this podcast had it not been for all the conversations I've had and I guess in a weird sort of way um, it's all still in in line or in theme with my overriding passion that is about starting conversations especially about autism and yeah, I mean, it's where the t-shirts began as sort of visual cues because autism is not something you can instantly recognize in someone. Me as parent to an autistic child, just wanting people to ask me questions, but but how would they know and where do they start? So that kind of journey. And yeah, it just, just feels like without that, I would not have reached the decisions I'm making now. So I'm super excited. My My gorgeous friend, Myth, who is such a talented designer, is doing the whole new look for the website. It will be this podcast. It will be my monthly newsletter. So please do go along and sign up to that and my blogs and just maybe, maybe because I can't resist <laughs> in a few months down the line, just one kind of really trendy, iconic, ultimate t-shirt, probably white because that is my obsession around autism awareness and neurodiversity awareness, I guess. And yeah, hopefully that t-shirt can continue to support a single autism charity and cover some of the little admin costs and things that go along with having a website and a podcast. So look out for all of that coming soon. And there's a little bit more of a teaser, something I'm doing in the background, a kind of career change. <laughs> I can't say change. I've never had a career. New job coming that I'm currently working on at the moment, working very, very hard. I've had to switch my brain on for the first time and flip about 22 decades. Yeah, 20 odd years. And I am currently training to become a spell to communicate practitioner, but more about that in the coming months. And And I just, I don't remember when last I was so excited about something I was going to actually do in terms of a job, a eh? but also my life and just finally finding a genuine purpose around autism that will help others and that I know I would, you know, would never have come to me had it not been for all of this. So yes, I'll shut up now and uh, carry on with the purpose of this podcast episode. Lately, I have been in the real kind of parent 
pity pit. <laughs> Not just for myself as a parent, but for all parents of my <clears throat> generation, you know, the 50-somethings. Because, man, we, we've had it like no other, and we are the first of our kind. And, you know, whilst whilst I, you know, obviously <laughs> appreciate and I'm and deeply grateful for the fact that I, you know, haven't had to endure, I don't know, famine, no electricity, no hot water, warm clothes, two world wars, etc., etc., that previous generations of parents have had to go through. <laughs> I, you know... This current generation of parents that that I am in, um, wow, man, we we've had we're having it hard. I reckon <laughs> we are the first generation of parents to raise children with tech, mobile phones, and social media. Specifically, when we ourselves were not raised with tech, phones, or social social media, and. We didn't even make it through. We didn't even go through our teens with them either, which is which is mind boggling to me. So I'm kind of like thinking about the maybe 30, 40 something year old parents who probably, well, I'm sure they were certainly more aware of it and savvy to it um, in their younger years where their brains were still firing on all cylinders. Um, so, yeah, I just feel I feel I've been in that little pity pit of parenthood. You know, it's so damn hard for us. It's so it's so hard to find the sort of uh, understanding and support and advice and leaning on ex the experience of those before you um, when we are dealing with a whole different ballgame here. And I don't just mean, you know, managing your children's social media use and phones. It's, it's the whole relationship dynamic has shifted big time. I mean... Your little seven, eight, nine-year-olds, they were no longer, you know, looking up to mummy and daddy and saying and asking all those, you know, what does questions and, and sort of, you know, that lovely idolizing of their parents that they do at that age. That was gone for us because they suddenly discovered that, well, hey, I can just Google it. Google never lies <clears throat> and um, get their answer instantly and, and roll forward a few years into the pre-teens and the teens. And then it's where, the, you know, the instant gratification is. Pocket money doesn't work anymore because clearly, you know, age 10, your weekly pocket money is not going to cover your mobile data bill nor buy you the latest phone for Christmas. So, um, you know, none of that happened in the generation before so we're kind of like yeah and and not only that I mean I just think think back to the the schools the governments the laws all playing catch-up to this as well you know we're the parent generation that oh yeah there were no safeguarding measures in place when our kids started taking their phones to school <laughs> so it's tough yeah the whole kind of respect balance has changed we've, we've still got you know kind of I'm looking forward now I've got two older young adults and I mean I don't think our generation's even going to get little grandkids and babies to cuddle. Seriously, they my two do not seem interested. I mean, how do you date in today's world? Sure, for my son, I just think I just think he's probably petrified. I mean, do you ask the girl out or does she ask you out these days? Uh, do you open the car door or don't you? I don't think you win can win either way. It's wrong. So, I mean, he just completely withdraws. My daughter, much like many other young women out there, are like, no way am I having kids. No, no, no. <laughs> At the moment anyway. And, you know, now I'm like, I'm up to my neck in the parent pity pit for my particular generation. But I'm going to go whole hog here 
and uh, go, yeah, yeah, it's us too. We are the only or the first ones to have our own parents living a whole lot longer than their parents lived <laughs> and having them having to upscale for their kind of later years in life, not only retirement, but the, the care plans for, for proper old age that nobody warned them that they should be doing. Um, so perhaps that financial bill is falling onto, you know, <laughs> us and, well, many of us. And and then, of course, our, you know, adults, once they've come out of young adulthood, uh, who can find a job today, even with a degree? And if you aren't partnered up, which none of them seem interested in doing, you can barely even afford rent, let alone buying your first home. So yeah, I, I think I think I'm justified in wallowing in the pity pit there a bit, yeah. And uh yeah, give us some cred, man. You know, we're we're struggling. We're kind of I also I mean this is opening a can of worms now, but I don't know. I mean I don't know if our the younger generation and I mean there are don't get me wrong, there are huge positives. I mean just the oh my gosh, just the the awareness they have, the diversity, the attitudes, the kind of better sense of self-worth, the work-life balance, the care for the planet, the everything, uh, you know, all fantastic. But at the same time, I'm kind of, nobody can take a joke anymore. I mean, us parents are not allowed to say flipping anything. We were raised in what we were raised in. And that's the way people said things and did things. It doesn't mean those were deep, inherent feelings of ours. So, I kind of find myself in these situations now where we're treating our young adults like young adults and they're included in all those chats around the table, hopefully without phones, and, and you you drop a clangor and they suddenly, like they are treating you like a baby and telling you that you there is no way you could be saying those things. You should not be using that word anymore, mum, and you should not be saying them. And I'm like, okay, hang on a minute. Hang, hang, hang on. I'm very aware of what I'm saying. I'm just referencing another life I know it's not the done thing today I know it's not right and wrong I wouldn't dare to be so stupid as to say it out in public or to a stranger this is this is my home and and also uh, uh, excuse me have you lived have you even lived yet <laughs> have you you know tried multiple part partners have you given birth have you yeah whatever paid a mortgage bill <laughs> Okay, I definitely need to stop there. Right, so getting back to the title of today's episode, do you <laughs> sometimes feel a tad manipulated slash and or controlled by your child and not just your autistic child? I think if you are a parent to an autistic child or children, those feelings can be absolutely a lot more intense and I'm not dissing the children or adults here, by the way. I am, you know, I'm not sort of saying these awful human beings who intentionally manipulate and control us and what little thugs, because I genuinely believe that that isn't actually their intentions. And whilst the words are kind of accurate, um, they're also pretty negative. And I think we all just need to maybe look at it for what it is. Again, as previously mentioned, total shifts in parent-child dynamic these days. And 
for me anyway, particularly as parents to autistic, non-speaking Henry, who's age 12, I am, I am very, very aware when he is controlling me and I make a decision to allow it, much to the rest of the family's dislike. It can seem more noticeable when the rest of the family is around, like on the weekends, and I really resent being highlighted, you know, having that fact highlighted to me. Oh, he's controlling you. Um, because it is a choice I make, and I am doing it for the rest of the family. <laughs> because if I do not allow my autistic son to control me and the environment he's in, to a certain extent, he can become dysregulated and that can lead to complete and utter overwhelm and meltdown. And no one, I do not want him most of all to have to experience the trauma of that. And nor do I want the rest of the family to have to experience that. And if it happens, guess who's going to be picking up the pieces? I am that trusted person in my son's life, the one who has that consistent relationship with him it just is what it is and should he reach a state of complete overwhelm it can take anything from 20 minutes to three hours to overcome and the impacts are significant not only for him but for me and the rest of the family so I am not being soft I am not being weak I am not pandering to him I can totally see how perhaps siblings in a family would think, wow, like he gets away with everything or she's just constantly focused on him. What about me? What about me? But it is what it is. I, it is not intentional, although I know my son is aware of what he's doing. I think him and most autistic children and adults are often in a constant state of fight or flight mode. And they are very, very aware that they have little control over their bodies and that if that sensory environment around them changes unexpectedly, they will not be able to cope. And therefore, they have a great need to, to know what to expect, to have that environment controlled so that they can remain regulated. It is extremely difficult for them. And when we talk about the sensory difficulties that they have, it's not only difficulties. There are incredible strengths in there as well. And, uh, you know, the way it's been described by autistic people now how much beauty they can see and detail that we do not see uh the the listening that they can do on a, on a level that goes beyond our regular hearing and so those can be wonderful strengths but it's very unpredictable at times and when they especially i mean it just makes so much sense if you were if you knew that you wouldn't cope, that you are so sensory to these minute changes that you have no control over, and not only that you cannot control how your body reacts to them, then of course you're going to be you know, in a constant state of alertness to it. And 
when things get shaken up, especially when things become less predictable on a weekend, then that's when Henry starts to, you know, need me more. I have to meet those needs. It is vitally important. And so that's where I'm at with the idea of kind of controlling and manipulating. And I don't mean that parents can't set boundaries and that anything goes because I think it is vitally important that they do set boundaries and I'm absolutely convinced that not if but when my son gets to communicate with his own voice not through words but through spelling that he will one day be able to say how grateful he has been for those boundaries because, again, they also help him manage and stay regulated. And and equally, they are in a home with other members of the family, so a very kind of, you know, high support needs child type of example for Henry. He controls his environment as well as me at times, and he does that, you know, the lounge, as I've mentioned before on other podcast episodes, is is his zone. People are obviously entitled to come and go. But one of the things he's done is taken two chairs from the dining room and brought them into the lounge and placed them in specific positions according to his likes. And he has done nothing with them. He hasn't played with them. He hasn't really sat on them for very long. They just have to be there. And you cannot move them. Do not move them. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, fair enough. I'm, that's not ideal. They're not in anybody's way. There's no harm. He obviously, for whatever reason, he's not able to communicate with me with words. They need to be there. I'll let it go. I'll let it go. I'll let it go, of course. And then day after day, these chairs keep being moved in there. I keep moving them back when he's gone to bed. Wrong. I, bad idea. And this is where autistic people can also find themselves in a loop so they get kind of stuck in this repetitive behavior and it's like a default mode and I did that yesterday and I had some success from that feeling and controlling my environment and placing things where I need them to be placed. So I'll just do it again and again and again. And it's when you notice those patterns that are not kind of proving to be very meaningful or helpful or have any purpose that you, you know, obviously then need to set about redirecting and, and creating a better a better plan for the chairs but those chairs then led to our little side tables where we sit in the lounge and we put our drinks on and our snacks or whatever and those side tables were now no longer present not only were they not elsewhere in the lounge but they were outside and he was insisting that they are outside and then you sort of sit back and you think okay again we don't want to dysregulate him let's not rock the boat let's just let him see if he's creating something amazing or whatever he's doing and then you think hang on a minute no loop or no loop this is my lounge. This is the family lounge. I am mum. And for me, I think those chairs, the side tables need to go back and the chairs need to go back in the dining room because that's, you know, I'm in charge. <laughs> the big mistake is to actually just move them all in one go. And it's taken me a while to learn that when you set those boundaries, they need to be done in tiny, tiny incremental steps so that it is not too disruptive and doesn't cause the dysregulation and doesn't cause the confrontation. So it's this kind of absolutely there is no language involved. It is a non-speaking kind of messaging or discussion going on between us where my message is basically 
if this is a loop. Obviously, he's not going to fully understand that, but my non-spoken messaging about incrementally moving those chairs away is to go right. It's not a healthy, repetitive action. It's a kind of loop, and we're going to maybe think of something more purposeful to do when it's not going to be around moving these chairs. So my message is like, no more of that. And... If it's not a loop and this is him controlling his environment for me to go, okay, this is the boundary I'm putting in place, but I'm not going to do it so that it completely overwhelms you and throws you off kilter because I'm aware of how deeply impacted you are by your environment on on more sensory levels than I could ever imagine. So I'm going to do it really, really slowly so that you can cope. And his message to me is probably like, oh my gosh, about time. (laughs) And how many examples I could give you of where you've ruined this and caused me stress. Anyway, won't think about those. Um, His message is basically, you know, I'm imagining sometimes, especially if it's a loop, is is help me. I don't want to be doing this. I can't stop myself from doing it. And thank you. You can't do it all in one go because my systems just can't cope with that. And, you know, while we're not speaking to each other and sending these messages across, you're finally getting it that if you do it little bit by little bit, I will cope so much better and I will accept it and I recognize your boundary and we're good. So parents, I know that especially in the moment, it can be extremely difficult. So one, forgive yourselves. And two, keep reminding yourself to believe them. You know, it it is a scientifically proven fact that their sensory and motor feedback systems are constantly going offline. I mean, imagine how you would feel if somebody suddenly blindfolded you while you were driving. Yeah? That, it's that kind of analogy. And when this happens for them, they cannot control their actions. It becomes impulsive, which means it comes from a very emotional place. It is unplanned. You know, uh, I have to just say, yeah, you have to, I guess, very simply put, I will use the words of a wonderful lady who I hope to have on my podcast as a guest soon. Her name is Tracy Weiner. And she has specialized, like many people have, around (laughs) their autistic child's needs. Her background is that of an OT, and she has become a wonderful knowledge on PDA, pathological demand avoidance, as well as NVR, that I can't offhand remember what that stands for, but a type of kind of therapy, validation, if you like. And her and her husband are also opening up a very, very exciting uh, center locally in the Tunbridge and Tunbridge Wells area soon. So, yes, I will definitely have her on a guest. But as Tracy says, very simply, we have to believe that it is not won't, it is can't. How many times as a parent with your autistic child or adult where you have described them as he just, he or she just won't do it. Uh, Stubborn, defiant, doesn't listen, doesn't seem to care about anything, doesn't care about any consequences or reward charts or just, just won't. But have you stopped to think that maybe in that moment, 
for whatever reason is going on in their sensory motor feedback systems, they can't, genuinely can't, can't initiate, can't execute, can't move their bodies the right way. Yeah, have a little think about that. And and as usual, or as in many previous episodes, I'm going to end off by recommending one of my absolute favorite autism podcasts that is called Uniquely Human. And one of their recent episodes, they are a good sort of hour and a bit long, um, is talking about the word no. So I have dedicated a previous episode to uh, saying no to your autistic child or adult. And not only have they covered that, but they have also covered when the autistic child or adult says no to you and the many, many different meanings that that can have. It is absolutely brilliant, um, a real eye-opener. And again, like most things, when you when you hear them so well explained and understood, it just, it just makes perfect sense, of course. <laughs> so wishing you all a good couple of weeks. I will be back, obviously, and we'll let you know in the next episode whether or not I might kind of take a, a little break, maybe just do one episode in December because I know we'll all be so busy slash overwhelmed with Christmas. So yeah, take care of yourselves and enjoy. Don't forget, you're not alone and your child is going to be okay.